Botch Spots and Share Shots. And people, just to start off, if y'all haven't, go subscribe to Botch Spots and Share Shots on all platforms to make sure we get in here on Botch Spots and Share Shots, one of the hottest podcasts out here. Definitely from the spotlight. DJ Savage represents the Takeover. Takeover all day. And Botch Spots and Share Shots, just Savage! Hello to all my people, and if you're watching live, checking us out on YouTube, or listening on your favorite podcast provider, you're most definitely my people. Welcome to another episode of Botch Pods and Share Shots. I'm your host, a chef by trade and a mark by choice. I am the Will Gray, and joining me tonight, he is the Music City Mutt. He is one-third of the Carnies. The circus is dead, people, but the Carnies are forever. He is the gargoyle, Carrie Awful. Carrie, thanks for coming on Chat Awesome Wrestling, brother. How are you? Doing great. Living life. I always like that, man. When you when you start on a Monday, and most people's jobs are like, Mondays are trash, I hate Mondays, you know? And like for me, coming through the shows on the weekends, like Monday and Tuesday are always super chill for me. So it's the complete opposite reality of the rest of the world, it feels like sometimes. Um, so I always start these interviews kind of the same way, man. I always start uh, kind of the beginning and kind of work through your career a little bit. Uh, first question is always kind of a, an icebreaker, but what were you exposed to as a kid? Like, what do you remember watching and growing up watching? So my my earliest memories are like <clears throat> probably like between like four and five years old, and I'm 37 now, so you know definitely dating myself. Uh, I remember Saturday morning wrestling is what we used to call it, but uh, I had grandparents that lived close to Memphis on the outskirts of that, between that and Jackson, Tennessee. Uh, so they would get like the Memphis wrestling there. So you know you'd watch you know morning TV, whatever it is, and it'd come on lunchtime. Then I found out when I lived in Nashville, you know, back in the, you know, 1990, oh my God, they have their own wrestling every weekend is on TV and at, you know, at the fairgrounds. Oh my God. And so like my, like my earliest, like mainstream memories is Coco Beware and Owen Hart. Uh, and I had a babysitter who liked wrestling and she loved Coco Beware and we'd all do the Birdman dance together and it was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that was real sick. And then of course, like, uh, with Memphis wrestling, I grew up watching and remembering like PG-13 and like Jerry Lawler and Bill Dundee and, you know, stuff like that. You know, uh, and of course, Dutch Mantel, like my mentor and trainer, you know, that's a, you know, it's so serendipitous that that's who ended up training me. You know, this guy I watched when I was like five years old. Uh, it's really nice and refreshing because I'm also 37. I was born and raised in Nashville. Uh, I grew up cutting my teeth on the late days of the NWA, Lawlers and Jarrett's coming out of Memphis. Uh, so for once, you telling the exact same story that I do about growing up in Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee with wrestling. Like, I'm not full of shit. I told you guys. Like, it was literally, we cut our teeth watching wrestling. If you grew up in Middle Tennessee and West Tennessee in the 90s, man, it was all over the place. Um, so, like, West I mean, just Tennessee and wrestling itself, like, you got to think, like, there's something to be said when, like, Elvis is the king of rock and roll, but if you go to Memphis and you say, who's the king, and they're like Jerry Lawler, like, you have to think, like, that's, it, it transcends, like, wrestling convention as part of their, like, Americana, part of their little culture, you know, and I have Tennessee, for sure, everybody, I mean, just everybody watched wrestling that I knew of, like, local wrestling, even, you know, and they'd go to the fairgrounds, or they go to uh, TNA when they were at the asylum, you know. 
Uh, I could I could talk about Tennessee wrestling all day. I, I can stop for now though. <laughs> I uh I I live and die by it, man. I've always said that Tennessee is one of the richest wrestling histories in the business. Anywhere you go, MSG and stuff. But when you talk about you know the that mid south, and then you talk about the Memphis and stuff, the Memphis Coliseum, in, in its own regard, was heralded yeah. as being like the mecca of Southern wrestling in a lot of ways. And you get into the Daltons and some of those other arenas. But we will talk about territories all day if I let myself go. Um, you brought him up. I'm a huge fan of this guy growing up on Memphis wrestling, Dirty Dutch Mantel. How did you hook up with Dutch and end up training with him? Uh, so it's wild. Uh, I had one of those moments where it's like you're, you're unsure of like what you want to do with your life. And like, I'll be real honest. Like when I, I started wrestling like pretty late, like in my mid twenties, early to mid twenties. And, uh, you know, I was like, well, I, I'm probably never going to make a living at this, but like, I have to know if I can do it or not. And I was like, God, give me a sign. And I went to the dirt sheets and it said Dutch Mantel was opening a wrestling school, like 30 minutes from me. And I was like, okay, that's a sign. Uh, anecdotally, uh, when I was a kid, Dutch used to put his AOL screen name on for the, I think it was the main event championship wrestling shows. And it was his uh, screen name. So like when I was 11, I would just be pinging him on instant messenger every day. <laughs> and then later got trained by him. I, I, he ribs me. I, he doesn't remember it, but, but I, I do, you know, cause it was like talking to God back then. Uh, yeah, I hooked up with him and I did a tryout class with him with a NWA star, Jeremiah Plunkett, a real good friend of mine. And, I know Plunkett. Uh, uh, Plunkett's his- been on the show. He's the man. It was uh, him and Drew Haskins, and then later it was my friend Josephus. But uh, I did the tryout class. It was horrible. I vomited. I was like, not for me. Dutch sold me two different books. with this. He asked me what my name was to <laughs> autograph it after I took this wrestling you know, ass-kicking I did. And uh, I was like, nope, not for me. I was so sorry I couldn't book. And Dutch called me and kept calling me. And, you know, he had students, but he, you know, and I'd tell him, no, I don't have money because I didn't because I was poor. And then we'd tell me about what he would have booked or how he booked in TNA or just like Zadie life stuff until I found a way to go to wrestling school. And then I, I trained with him for like seven or eight months and it was just crazy. You know, I'd like, I'd pick him up from his house or we'd meet somewhere and I'd drive him every day and then drive him home, you know, and that's the same kind of stuff like Stone Cold did with him and The Undertaker and Kane and the, you know, the plethora of other superstars that he helped. You know, I still think about this, like, just some of the shit I learned about wrestling and life from him. It just, like, is one of those things, like, I'll remember something and I'll think of, like, oh, man, this really taught me this. You know, uh, he taught me, like, a lot. Of that. He taught me a lot about discipline and about, you know, like, having to believe in yourself. Uh, him and another woman who I credit as one of my main trainers, Tasha Simone. Uh, she was an NWA Women's World Champion located at Tennessee. She was trained by Chris Adams. Um, those, uh, you know, as far as my primary trainers, them, Wolfie D also, Wolfie D is another guy who really, really like when Nick and I made a tag team, we were a team IOU before the Carnies and Wolfie, you're like, who, who else would you learn tag team wrestling from? You know? So sorry about getting long winded. I, you know, I just have so much like love and gratitude for all my trainers and, you know, especially this last year, seeing a bunch of my friends pass away. It's like, I, you know. I just love telling the world how, how awesome they are and how great people they are and how, uh, how much they impacted me as a person and performer, you know? Uh, one of my favorite things about specifically what you're talking about is hearing those stories with guys like Dutch. And when you hear about these guys that trained 
uh, I, I, I hate to say it like this, but it's kind of the old school ways, you know, like very much wrestling in 2023 has evolved very much differently than the way Dutch Mantel did things when he wrestled. Uh, what was it like kind of coming up under that wrestling tree though? I mean, he's historic in just about every territory he went from, um, just kind of speak on a little, if you can, about like the importance of being there for, with Dutch and learning from Dutch. Cause everywhere he's gone, it kind of everything touched, you know, it became gold for it. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I think that at the time I thought he like, didn't like me, you know what I mean? <laughs> and I always felt like I was like having to impress him. Like I was JD and he was Dr. Cox from scrubs. Yeah. It really, it was just hearing like someday, like one time I remember being in a car with him and he's like, so Carrie, what silly move from Japan do you want to learn today? And I, and I'd say, <laughs> I want to learn a shining wizard or a burning hammer. And he'd be like, what kind of name is that? Explain it to me. And I'd be a little nerd and explain it to him. And he'd fake fall asleep while driving. And I'd go, oh, Dutch, I know you're faking it. He'd be snoring, fake drilling on himself. And he'd start to veer the car just a little bit. And I'd be like, okay, Dutch, you're not going to work me. Oh, my God. You know, and then all of a sudden you start hitting the uh, the little rumble strips. <laughs> as, I knock my, as I knock my phone down here, building the story here. Um and then finally you hit the grass and you're like, oh my God, we're going to die. Dutch, wake up. And he goes, gotcha. And, you know, <laughs> I learned how to tell a story and about kayfabe. And, you know, it's just suspension of disbelief. I knew we weren't going to die. I knew we weren't going to die. But in that moment, I thought we were. You know, <laughs> that's, that's, it sounds so silly. Like, I don't even know if that was the purpose, but that's what I get out of it. You know, like, um, Josephus uh, was one of my, he did the physical side of my training for Dutch while Dutch was mentoring him. And then Dutch would instruct and like talk, you know, and lock up with me some and, and clothesline me and stuff like that, you know. But uh, uh, they did this thing trying to teach me about working once. And what they did is uh, Josephus gave this other wrestler named Abriella a pile driver. And I was like, oh, that looks so cool. And they're like, why well, do it didn't look cool? Something happened. What do you mean something happened? And they're like, something happened. Basically, like, you know, they just get me like worked up into a frenzy. Like I saw someone's neck get broken. I'm like on my phone, pulling it out, getting ready to dial 911, and they all start laughing. <laughs> you know, I learned a lot about wrestling without wrestling because of Dutch. And it's something that I, I try to pride myself on. You know, I I, I think storytelling is what we are. We're 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 storytellers, right? And so, like, I think that gets lost a lot and, and people lose the plot of what this is, you know. And so I, I think that for me, coming up under that gave me such an advantage over so much and so many that it helped me kind of, you know, cut the line and do a ton of really cool stuff in wrestling. <laughs> Every now and then I get uh, messages. Normally, if, like, someone passes away, I'll, I'll reach out to them. Or if something zany, like, real zany in wrestling happens, I'll reach out to them. You know, he just did a seminar, and if anybody listening to this is a professional wrestler or just curious, I highly implore you to take his seminar, you know, digitally online and listen to his podcast, you know. He tells some there, – there's a thing on the back of one of his biographies where where Karma or, or Awesome Kong is like somewhere between falling asleep and when your dream starts is when a Dutch Mantel story exists. He's just like that kind of storyteller, and – it's weird because he's like shaped my life, like my childhood memories. He helped me live my dream as a professional wrestler. And, and because of that, and because of how he looked at wrestling, I look at it in a weird way. I think at least that's what a lot of people tell me, you know, I like to look at 
people's lives and their stories in wrestling and see how those characters evolve and change like Pokemon. You know, we're the only art medium where Spider-Man never ages, Batman never ages. But us as as wrestlers, we, we go through in real time. Our characters age in real time. What other medium of art can you do that in? That's funny as that is. Sorry, I, if this is too outside the box here, I apologize for sure. This is right up my alley. I uh, I always say that I, when I do an interview with a guy, no matter who they are, guy or gal, um, I let them fill how much of the curtain they want to go back. If they want to make it 100% of work, I'll 100% work with them. You know what I mean? Like I always let them pull the curtain back. Um, I love it though, man. I love finding out in 2023, it's really hard to say whether or not kayfabe is alive or not. So I look at it like a TV program. You know what I mean? When I watch the TV, I don't look at it and go, okay, that's Joanna Y not Roman Reigns. You know what I mean? Like I look at it from the perspective. So when I talk to you guys behind the curtain, so to speak, and we're kind of here, I let you guys pull it back as much as y'all choose. Um, So the next step is after you get done with your training and you're rolling with it, man, what was that process like getting booked for those first few years? Like diving into the business, kind of breaking in as they say. So I did my, the building that I trained at with Dutch was an NWA affiliate. So I paid a year of dues there and I worked for free that culminated in my year anniversary as a wrestler wrestling in a cage match twice. And it was just a whole thing. Uh, but from there I was able to meet people like Derek Neal and Tasha in you know, Chase Stevens, whomever. And that got me over to USWO with Tony Falk. He was like the absolute man. If you ever get the chance to talk to Tony, he is the best. I mean the best dude. And uh, they started booking me on those Fridays, not Thursdays, on Fridays in Nashville. I was working NWA main event on Thursdays, and I met Nick. You know, wrestling's not like it is now. Like, it's there's almost no wrestling shows that are in Nashville, period, anymore. You know, and if they are, it's, you know, here once a month, maybe. You know, when I started, they said they were in a drought, but I could still wrestle three times a week. Four, if there was a benefit on Sunday, <laughs> you know, and I, I think that also helped me out a lot. I, I did, I did diagnose into it, but you know, at the time, I, you know, there were parts of my, my training and when I was a wrestler and I started where I was homeless, you know, wrestling kept me out of trouble. It gave me a place to go and put a roof over my head. It gave me people to hang out with that weren't the people I was hanging out with, which clearly wasn't helping, you know? So, you know, you just replace one, one thing with another. And I just, you know, I let it eat me up alive and, you know, you blink and the next thing you know, it's 12 years later and you're like, whoa, what happened? <laughs> uh, wrestling will definitely do that to you. Um, one thing uh, that I'm always curious about, because uh, I t- as many indie guys as I talk to, uh, you hear a lot about IWA Mid-South. I've been to a few yeah. shows. Uh, they carry their own vibe. Ian very much promotes his own style of a show in wrestling. Uh, so let's make that our next stop, man. Uh, what was it like working yeah. with IWA Mid-South and Ian Rotten and those boys? Really, really weird, man. But really good at the same time. Like, I, you know, so Ian's like a hot topic for a bunch of reasons, right? Uh, you know, he's kind I'm, of all over the place. Infamous and famous, notorious. You right. know, however you want to look at it. So, like, I a big reason of IWA Mid South for me was actually Nick Manawa. If if you've heard him before, I've heard the name. He does a lot of comment. He does like commentating, and he was booking like an actual uh, different indie with I think Reed Bitley at the time, Evo Pro, when Ian came back. Uh, but at the time, we had just been working like local TV in Nashville and for Saw being on like the CW. And, um, you know, when I wanted to be a wrestler, I wanted to be a wrestler like all my heroes. And that meant grinding it out on the indies. You know, I wanted to be like the good guy in the PWI that you see in all these different articles or whatever, you know, or top 10 lists or, or, or what have you. 
And, you know, being a tag team, it was kind of hard, you know, to get booked, you know, stuff with money, all that jazz. But Ian's was a platform for us. You know, I, I got to wrestle B-Boy and Homicide at Ian's, even after we had stopped working for him at the time. And, and what I got out of Ian's, like I met one of my best friends, Trip Cassidy. You know, I met tons of people there that became my friends. I watched tons of people's career get started there. You know, some of my favorite, you know, punk rock memories were just living by the seat of our pants. But, you know, it, it's... I, I I don't I don't know if I've I haven't even seen Ian in forever. I don't know if I have a take on him like one way or the other. Other than IWA Mid South was crazy. We did I did a Prince of the Death match one year. That was real weird. You know, you never get into wrestling. You're like, I'm going to do Prince of the Death match. <laughs> but whatever, you know, wrestling's cool. That's what I I love about it because I liken it to Netflix, man. Like uh, I I said a lot on the show. We don't yuck anybody's yum because like you can watch whatever the fuck you want to. Like there's so much wrestling out there. You might not watch the same stuff I do or the same stuff she sure. does or he does. There's so much good wrestling out there. Uh, it's not just on TVs or Monday or Wednesdays or Fridays anymore. Um, so because you're kind of progressing along, man. Uh, I always love asking this question specifically to guys who have had like. You've been all over the place. You've worked for GCW, Ring of Honor, IWA Mid-South. You've worked all over the Indies in the Southeast and Nashville. What's the biggest difference from territory to territory with the crowds? Because it always seems yeah. like every show I go to, the crowds are so different. Uh, what do you think about that? Like traveling around from each place to place, uh, are they drastically as different as, as it seems yes. to me? Yes, yes. A, a thousand times yes. That's like part of the reason why Nick and I became cornies because we're so like memphis oriented plus having like a, you know a high impact style that's a little bit more akin to the, like the super indies or the indies as we all know them uh down south they want to be talked to and they want to be entertained and they want to they want interpersonal drama and you know what i mean they want conflict um some places like uh it's just it's just everywhere everywhere is different you kind of touched on it a second ago about you can watch any style of wrestling but like we went to California. We wrestled a certain style that may maybe was a little bit like more crazy stuff at the tail end of our matches, big moves, big tandem stuff like that. Down here might be a slow and steady one where I try to try to really have this like you know cathartic experience while I wrestle with the crowd and myself, whether that's good, bad, or in between, because uh, that's what they want. It's like going to church or to like a Pentecostal church. They want to be like engrossed in it you go to the midwest and they might like really really what i would call like witty technical wrestling but you know you in the kentuckiana area where ian used to run they want they want blood they want fist fight they want tough people the northeast they might want something that's you know incredibly specific with mechanics you know what i mean or they might want something that looks like a, a michael bay movie where the, the end of the match is nothing but it's you know crazy big like high intensity moments uh the mid-atlantic has its own style i mean it is it, yeah it's just unique it all differs it's the same way that you know we all speak english but like if you go to different parts we have our different dialects or whatever or, or colloquialisms or accents that kind of draws it out a little bit or you know <laughs> puts its own flavor to the language you know yeah, same with the wrestling styles all right so specifically with paradigm pro you and austin Connolly had a dog collar match uh y'all had ran kind of a little program leading up to it this is specifically about a payoff match um if you can kind of put in your own words what a payoff match is uh and then why you guys chose a dog collar match to be your payoff like or the blow off match rather so so it's what a complicated question so <laughs> yes 
uh, a blow-off match, for us, it's something like, uh, think about it in a movie, man. If you watch Avengers, Avengers are all cool, that's the beginning. Then there's an inciting incident, right? And the Avengers are like, oh, shit, that person's bad, but we'll try again. And then they get their asses stomped. And then there's a, a, a big natural resolution at the end of that to try to, like, you know, resolve the conflict in one way or the other. And uh, this one was a good one for me. I'm So Nick and I are, are known, like, our known gimmick match is the dog collar match. Mm-hmm. Uh, down in Atlanta for Atlanta Wrestling Entertainment, you know, some of their some of their reviewers stated that one of them specifically with Joe Black and William Huckabee was one of the most violent matches in the state's history. And it's true. I ripped, like, a whole PVC pipe out of the ground and, fit, like, went over to impale someone it was pretty intense we we shared we shared an intense moment that night uh the payoff for that is he's mad dog Connolly, and i actually i met that guy in a different world or a different reality under a different name once and i looked at him and i said you are better than this <laughs> i told him my kind of weird philosophy you know in a world where everybody wants to be Cody Rhodes, or everyone wants to be Kenny Omega, if everyone wants to be Shawn Michaels, you know, I, I wanted to be Mick Foley, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Or I wanted to be Dutch Mantel. And uh, I didn't see Connolly for a little bit, and then I saw this Mad Dog Connolly debut, who looked, you know, pretty similar to the, the previously mentioned man. And I thought, he's got it, you know, he's like Bruiser Brody in a compact body. He's just violent, he's a brawler. And uh, they'd been pushing him in dog collar matches. So, then, you know, they threw the idea around to me. They were like, what do you think? And I thought, you know, if I'm, if I'm going to do a dog collar match with someone, I would like it to be something that's like pseudo meaningful. Right. And so like for me to be able to share a gimmick match with him and fight each other, you know, uh, uh, as a payoff that that the answer to that match, once it's released, will, will speak for itself. And there's a little bit added added context to that. You should definitely check it out on Paradigm on Fight TV. They're on the streaming app. It's like five dollars a month or something zany. You know, but they're putting out like weekly content. Paradigm's really cool about that. Their uh, their no hook project that was on IWTV was like some real outside the box storytelling. You know, something you expect on like a Wrestling Society X or like a Chikara or something like that. You know, uh, right now there's a big push for the UWFI division, which is founded almost like for people unfamiliar, it's like MMA, Pan Grace, you know, stuff like that. Uh, they push kind of this like weird tough man, you know, old school like original UFC style. You know, contests, it's different. You know, you'll get Tom Waller against someone like Mad Dog Connolly, Cole Radrick versus me, or Beef versus, you know, some seven-foot-tall guy like Lobo. You know what I mean? Uh, but they present that wrestling in, in a very sport manner, and it's pretty cool. Yeah, sorry, I get long-winded. I ramble. I'm the king of rambling style is what I am right now. Dude, I love this. This is this is the uh, the dream come true for me. Uh, a host is always as good as his, uh, as his guests, and... If, if you speak more than I do, that's a hell of an interview in my book. Like I should oh, be okay, able to good. just lob them up and just let you spike them down, man. Um, All day. Let's kind of veer away from the Indies just a little bit. That's, that's my bread and butter. Uh, but you did spend some time elsewhere. You had a chance to do some work with some ring of honor at one point. Yeah, um, what was yeah, that like yeah. stepping up? You know, I don't, I don't like to say things like to that next level, but I guess you understand what I mean. Going to a, to a ring of honor though. Like yeah. what was that chance to step so, up there? Well, for us, it was the natural progression because, like, the end of the like, if you're on the Indies and you're seriously pursuing wrestling, and, and Nick and I did, you know, for over a decade, traveled from California to New York to Canada to Florida. I mean, literally everywhere. So, like, the next logical thing is like, I want this to pay all my bills. I want this to be my life. And so we did a camp with the Ring of Honor, and you know, we did we if, not to pull like too much. No one's ever going to see the match, but uh, 
at the end of the deal, we had to partner up with the team and have a match, and they assigned your partners, and it was the the Beaver Boys, who are the Dark Order now, so Silver and Reynolds, and they gave us like eight minutes, and we just kind of, we all had kind of the same agenda. We're like, let's do this, and let's let's because we both 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 teams had a reputation for being able to you know kind of go right. Uh, for a lot of the people in the Northeast, it was like their first time seeing us, but then they found out who we were trained by and they were really receptive. And some of them knew us from some of the, some of the indies that we did, you know? Um, so we did that and it changed our lives. Like a lot of people don't know this, like Chris, we were the Carnies team IOU because we were, were trying to get out of this boy and a dog gimmick into this like circus Southern Memphis Carney gimmick. And Daniels is like, Christopher Daniels is the guy who's like, you're no longer team IOU, you're the Carnies you guys maybe try a circus thing and we were like okay you're christopher daniels sure you know <laughs> yes <whatever>. sir <laughs> yeah yeah i i used to pay money i dude i lied to my parents so i could go to impact at the or tna at the asylum on wednesdays for the weekly pay-per-view so i could see daniels wrestle and all the indie guys they were getting shots it was incredible i feel uh, like that was the thing though if you didn't sneak out to a, a tna impact show were you a teenager in middle tennessee right like, right because I did the you same know, thing. I tell people that all the time, especially into college. Uh, the older I got, when I kind of got out from the umbrella of my mom, it was like I was spoon-fed TNA Impact because it was yeah. like they would just do whatever they could to get us in that building. Oh, dude, yeah. They would <laughs> eventually just be free tickets. One time, uh, well, I'll, I'll save that story for a different time. Uh, <laughs> we So we did, we, we had a... We had like three or four matches for Ring of Honor, and we had some cool ones, but there were always like Future of Honors and shots like that. And we did one house show for him up in like uh, uh, Wisconsin or something. But it was cool because we were we were showing up trying to like show face too. So we would go to the different states and someone like in Atlanta or or St. Louis or North Carolina or whatever. But I, I was lucky because I'm I, I like I break the rules about certain things. Like people are like give people space, don't be too like nosy or whatever. But, like, I would ask people, like, hey, let me listen to you. Like, what's your thoughts on wrestling? Like, do you mind if I ask you questions? And, like, the next thing you know, you get to ask people, like, you know, you get to hear stuff from the Machine Guns or the Young Bucks or the Kingdom or, or the Briscoes or whomever, you know. And, and because of that, just having the access to that kind of talent for that brief amount of time changed how I, you know, I put, my, put wrestling together in my head. And uh, it was not culture shock. It was just it, it felt validating. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like 5'10", fat, chubby, internet, smart mark, you know? <laughs> I remember downloading, you know, WCW themes on MIDI format on AOL chat rooms on 56K modems. Mm-hmm. Like, I was never, ever, ever supposed to, like, be a wrestler, let alone be a successful independent wrestler. You know what I mean? <laughs> and, uh, so, like, it was validating. and It made it seem like, at least at the time, that, like, shit, Nick and I could really do this, you know? Uh, you know, stuff doesn't work out that way, but you know, just that, just having that for my own personal, like scrapbook, like meant the world to me. Uh, I, I, I love hearing that man, because I'm, like I said, born and raised in middle Tennessee. So when I, when you came across my desk, uh, my co-host and producer works with a, I guess a mutual friend between the two of us, however we want to look at that. But when I found out you were my age, you're from middle Tennessee, you're a pro wrestler. I was like, how have our circles never crossed? Like, that seems yeah. like such a weird, like locale because i live in murfreesboro and i was like jesus like how have i never met this guy already you know like um so right before we went on air you put out a tweet that you had some some big stuff dropping uh let's hop into that with uh what you just what you just dropped for everybody man let's uh what retina pro wrestling right retinal pro wrestling down in birmingham alabama this is the first time i think i've uh 
I've done a project with someone out of state. Normally, I try to keep all my projects in state. Um, you know, I've done a lot of cool stuff in the past. Like, I helped with Dojo Pro. I, you know, I've helped with some stuff with GCW in the past. Uh, I wasn't just fascinated with the wrestling side of wrestling. I like all of it. Every functioning job in wrestling, from booking, filming, promoting, like, I love it all, teaching, you know, and um, I've ran a bunch of shows in the past, but this is the first time I've had, well, the second time I've had someone kind of approach me and my my cabal or team of guys and say, hey, let's do something really cool. Let's try to make a, a hardcore wrestling show and pro wrestling and mix it together. And, uh, yeah, we're going to try to run Birmingham. It kind of like, uh, it, it. I'm sorry I'm so, like, stuttery. It's just so new and fresh. And no, I love it. I get it. excited. Yeah. You know, I get jittery. But we did a bar show outside of No Quarter, like, on the fly, like, guerrilla style. And um, my buddies came up and did it, and there was, like, eight of us. And we got paid in beer and did <laughs> pro wrestling in a parking lot. And people were pulling their cars over and watching it like it was the Beatles <laughs> on the roof or something. People were sitting on their balconies watching us. And it was it was kind of like what I – like, pro wrestling in its most honest form. And was like, you know, you get to go out there and be a be – a, an artist right you get to go out there and people are there to boo and yay and cheer and and when you hurt they hurt when you know you're happy they're you're you know elated yeah you know there's not so much of this jaded wrestling fan where it's like i don't know like I, you get you get numb to it eventually because like once you get to like a certain point of like wrestling fandom like some of the best people i've ever met are, are wrestling fans like people i invite to my wedding you know what i mean and then you have like complete strangers i want to talk about like your real life like they know you you know it's, it's scary, really. But uh, when wrestling's like that and there's, like, none of these outside white noise or factors, like, buzzing and, and making wrestling, like, this pit in your stomach, when it's about the performance in a live crowd and a hot crowd that just wants to be entertained like that, it's like, shit, we can get back to this. We can tell simple wrestling stories for, for simple fans that want simple good times. And it doesn't have to be some kind of, like, over-the-top, like, art project where we, we try to be, like, Gone with the Wind or Lord of the Rings or some crazy fantasy epic, nor does it have to be Chicken Coop, you know, the uh, jumping around, you know, hooting and hollering and, and overalls, you know. Um, we're going to go have our first event April 18th, Sunday, April 18th, matinee show, 2 p.m., uh, Birmingham, Alabama. I'll, if you don't mind, I'll, I'll give you the flyer if you don't mind sharing it. Tons of good stuff. I, I can't name too many too many uh, stuff now, but if you look at the flyer, you'll see some familiar faces in the background, uh, myself being included in that. We're going to start dropping announcements soon, and hopefully, knock on wood, uh, the plans is this for us not to just be in Birmingham, but we're going to bring this between Nashville and Birmingham and a few cities along the way and try to do something that's kind of like touring bands or touring wrestling the way it should be, you know? Just kind of get the gang together, set up a circus tent, and do wrestling, right? Hell yeah. One of my favorite things about it is the origins of where it came from, though. Like, what you're talking about kind of goes back. It's kind of like an homage to the or the origins of it, going yeah. back to the Carney days. You know what I mean? Like, everything well, you're talking about, see, people are like, oh, that's a cool idea for a fusion. But to me, as an old school wrestling fan, I'm like, fuck, guys, this is where it came from. You know, like, yeah. going yeah. back to the big top, Phil, is where wrestling came from. I love that. Um this question is completely out of the, the blue, and this is 100% about ring psychology here. Kill or be killed, no ring match with Derek Neal. When you have the intensity of a match like that, and everything in pro wrestling revolves around that squared circle, and then you remove it. Like, what was that like? So I, I have done, like, I've, so I've wrestled, like, death matches and hardcore matches, and at that point, like, you know, what's the difference? I, I, you know, I... 
to me, that's uh, the easiest psychology for me is, is how can I avoid getting slain on something that's going to hurt me? And how can I do something creatively that, you know, they're not going to expect that will hurt them in a, in a creative, creative way. Right. Yeah. So like a lot, I just, a lot of people don't know this. If you watch, if you go back and watch it, my middle finger is like still crooked from it. I had my hand in brass knuckles and Derek stepped on it. it sounded like a gun went off and everyone's like, Oh, that's so great. Like my fingers like still broke. Like a whole it. ass broke. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Let me so like you see it is crooked now, right? Like that knuckle sits up at an angle. And uh, you know, after that, my my psychology was is I've got, you know, I guess like the psychology of it goes like two ways. If it's about what I think about in the match is 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 dead a hundred percent. How can I minimize the damage on my body at all costs in every way, shape, and form while still performing at a high level and, and impacting other people in a, in a dramatic way. You know what I mean? Um, so with like Derek, you know, you're in a bar, what are you going to do in a bar? You're going to fist fight or try to throw people through doors or you're going to smash them on a stage or on a PA speaker. Uh, Nick and I are notorious for destroying, like we, well, we've almost lost so many people venues. Unfortunately, uh, one night we did like $1,200 in damages to wood chairs. Uh, one time Nick hit a giant boot. He booted a guy through an entire DJ booth. I used to give people doctor bombs on the PAs and stuff. Like we were lunatics, <laughs> you know? Uh, and, and I think that transcends, you just take the ring out and it's like, okay, now it's just Def Jam Vendetta. Still the same rules apply. I've got to overcome this obstacle and, and hopefully, you know, not, not get more damage than I, than I did. All right, Kerry, I've got one more question for you before we get ready to wrap up. Uh, you mentioned that you had a chance to do some work with the Hardy boys. Growing up uh, yeah, as an yeah. Attitude Era fan, uh, TLC2 yeah. is one of my favorite matches of all time. Absolutely. Uh, one of the greatest tag teams of all time. Absolutely. Uh, talk to me a little bit about working with the Hardy Boys, what that was like. So we didn't we didn't get to wrestle for him, but we or wrestle with them, but we did the Hardy Halloween thing. Uh, buddy of ours got us a spot there. And so like I got it's just like every other zany story in wrestling. <laughs> I got a message in my inbox that was like, Hey man, you want to do some broken hardy stuff? And I was like, Fuck yeah, I do. Yes, I do. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> are you lying to me? Are you ripping me? You know, so I called I called Nick and then I called uh, my one of my best friends, Juicy Jimmy, and we were all like, I don't know, man, I don't think this is real. And then like without like exposing too much, we just like pulled up eventually after like an eight hour drive <laughs> up, up into this like remote location and it was just like the Wizard of Oz. He was like, It's just everything you want it to be and more and it's cool and you make <laughs> you make good money and they let us we were the Cardies in it. I was wearing my Carney's mask, and Nick was wearing his Carney's gear. All the other guys were dressed up as like Bret Hart or Stone Cold. It was just—it was one of the most surreal experiences of my life because they're like your childhood heroes, and like Hurricane Helms is there, and the Boogeyman's talking to you about why worms hate salt, and it's fucking like Papa Shango and the Godfather and fucking the Hardys. Just you know, champagne's there from Omega, and you're just like, it's like the biggest stimulus overload I ever had. It was like a zany episode of TV. And it was like my life was like a Truman Show sitcom for the day. But it was cool. It was like, you know, you just get to find out how cool, like, it, it. you get to find out that sometimes, like, the people you look up to are wrestling can not be cool. And then sometimes they, like, over-deliver, and it's, like, one of your favorite experiences in the world. And that that was it for me. I don't think there was anybody cooler than the fucking Hardy Boys and Edge and Christian when I was a kid that I know of, you know? Mm -hmm. I To this day, I, like, I, just, I I always play like always playing them in video games or always like waiting for the next cool thing that they're gonna do or cool outfit they're gonna wear all that other stuff. It was like watching real life comic book heroes. It was so sick. 
I love that era of wrestling also. Yeah. It was like a who's who for you, man. Like I said, we're the same age. So like the people you're rattling off, I was like, well, I mean, that's, that's pretty fucking dope. Like one of my favorite things about the industry and the business as a whole is even in the short time I've been what little piece of it, you could say I'm a part of it doing my interviews and my ring work or my ring announcing and everything I've done in, in the, the business, the very little tiny piece I've been in it is the relationships I've made, the people I've met, and, you know, like I may have worked one show with somebody a year ago and then I message them and it's like they've talked to me every day since, even though yeah. we haven't spoken since that show a year ago. And it surprises the fuck out of me. They even remember who I am sometimes. But it's like that. And those relationships are worth so much more. People make the joke, you know, handshakes and hot dogs. Right. But sometimes right. that's all it takes. You know, I might drive two or three hours for a show and pick up yeah. one really great interview that I've really wanted. And to me, that makes it worth it. Even if I don't I'm get bitter. even if I don't get a dollar for working the show that night, you know, picking up or meeting somebody that I grew up watching, you know, like it's those relationships tip. make it. Well, not only that. So like the hot we named I named an event hot dog and a handshake for progressing freedom that I booked when I was helping them out or, or booking for them. But like the thing about those phrases is like. I've had a lot of people that I've helped out because I like, that's kind of the role I'm at is I try to just like teach people like the cool things about wrestling and, and how they can view it their own unique way or whatever. And I tell them like, you're going to eat shit for like a year or two, but if you're smart about it and you study the business, like you'll start realizing you make money these different ways. And the next thing you know, you know, two bookings you take, you know, this month that you lost a hundred dollars for become the booking two years from then that pays you $300 a night, you know, or four or five or whatever. Yeah. You know, it, it's about losing now to gain later. And, and uh, you know, but with that being said, I think about it and like the adventures I got to live was like something out of a Henry Rollins book or something. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, uh, it was just like, it, it was like this, it, it felt like punk rock. It felt like we just got in the van, sold merch, and it's just different cities every weekend, coming back, working nine to five, doing doubles, going back out. And just having the, the, you know, I'm in Texas this week, then I'll be in North Carolina, and then I'm going to have to double back to Eobor, Florida, and then I'm going to have to fly to Brooklyn, New York, or whatever it is, you know, and the people you do meet, it is, it's just, some of them stay with you forever, and, and, and some of them, you know, you can, you can just pick up with, you know, I think about that a lot, especially the older I get, you know, um, my trainer taught me once, Dutch said, if you get, if you can count five friends on your hand when you get out of wrestling, that's four more than everybody else. And I would like to think that even if it's not many more than five, I think I have a few more than five, you know, close to the tail end of my journey, you know? <laughs> all right, Carrie, I close all of my interviews with five random questions, usually not having anything to do with wrestling. You good to go? Yeah, let's, let's do it. What's your favorite movie? Oh, man, I was completely overbearing. <laughs> That's uh, not dirty work. I was going to say dirty work or like Step Brothers. I don't know. Uh, I've now botched this interview. You can chant, he fucked up at me. <laughs> I don't, I don't know. You don't know? Let, let, let's do, let's do, uh, we'll, we'll go with a Will Ferrell. Nope. We're going to go with Walk Hard uh, with Dewey Cox. That's a great Walk one. Hard. Solid it's pick. All time classic. When you're on the road, do you have a favorite fast food you stop at? What do you think connected to a pilot that's 24 hours? If it's like with, if it's in like civilian life, like nine to five life, you know, I like any kind of like burger place, like, Oh cool. We're at a Whataburger or something like that. Right. Of course mm -hmm. now we have that in town. So like, I don't have to worry too much about that. Uh, but normally when it's like late at night, I really just want to get something that's like sheets where I know I can get like hot food or like a pilot McDonald's 
pilot Wendy's, something like that, you know. Do you have a favorite city? Just a city you're like, fuck yes, I get to go back. Oh, man. I, a, a few. A few. Uh, California was really cool the, the two times we went out there. Like, that was just like, just because, again, it was a validating thing, but also, like, I'd never seen the West Coast. You know what I mean? Um, that going to New York is even, I hate driving anywhere. Like once you get to Virginia, I refuse to drive. Like I got a ticket in there once and it's like, they have crazy ticket laws. <laughs> so like, I don't do well with big cities, but like being in New York and going to like the Ghostbusters firehouse or going to like the Jersey shore or something like anything that was like real, like touristy. Uh, I miss the Midwest a lot because I miss some of the fans and some of the crowd out there, you know, and, and that's like even pushing over to like St. Louis you know, border Illinois area, mostly, you know, maybe Indiana, parts of Indiana. Yeah. I don't know. I love them all for different reasons. <laughs> if you go to a bar, what's your go-to drink? Whiskey Coke. Nice. Last one. This one does have to do with wrestling. I'm always like this one. Uh, what's your favorite venue you've ever wrestled in? Uh, uh, Municipal Auditorium. Legendary. Starcast yeah. all the way through pay-per-views. Everybody's yeah. wrestled in Municipal, man. Yeah. I just yeah. said that was my favorite one probably two or three nights ago on somebody else's show. We, we had I the went, same conversation. I forgot it's a, not Starcast, but the WCW Starcade. Starcade, yeah, yeah, Starcade. Uh, I went to Starcade there as a kid, and then, like, Nick and I ended up getting having a tag match for Ring of Honor there, and, like, it was cool for a couple reasons because, like, who, who gets to wrestle somewhere they saw, like, a main pay-per-view at in their hometown, in downtown, and, like, we had gone out there and like, I knew like people knew who we were like locally and on the Indies or whatever, but like in your own mind, you downplay it because you think like life sucks or whatever. And you're like, no one knows me. But when we came out and they like popped for us in, in my hometown, I was like, all right, cool. I can die happy. You know, <laughs> uh, there in the fairgrounds, the fairgrounds is one of my favorites too. I got, to, I got to wrestle there a little bit too. I think the fairgrounds is awesome. Municipal though. I said was one of my favorites. Uh, I had a chance to see a show at the Memphis Coliseum. Like that Sick. was super cool. Sick. Yeah. Uh, okay. Okay. Favorite part of the episode, man. I don't have to say anything now. I just tell you, plug your stuff, uh, put yourself over, tell everybody where to find you and what you got coming up. Don't find me on Facebook. Uh, you guys can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Carrie awful. Um, you can check me out at retinal pro. That's a new venture I'm doing. Uh, for anyone who was a fan of any of the previous stuff I did with pro wrestling freedom or with a uh, crux wrestling or bizarro, this is going to be kind of up that alley. Um, and we're looking to come to Nashville. If you'd like to sponsor, please reach out to us on Instagram or uh, on, on, I'm getting tongue tied now on a uh, Twitter for retinal PW or me carry off on Twitter. Uh, watch me at, at new South on pro wrestling TV. I uh, just had a match with GCW's Bussy for them and uh BDSM, the tag team. Check me out at Paradigm Pro, where I'll be teaming with Derek Neal and Jimmy Felcher as Walking in Memphis as our trio's name coming up here this Friday. That'll be at the Jeffersonville uh, Arena. And, yeah, just check out. Watch wrestling. Buy merch. Have fun. Cool stuff. Absolutely, Kerry. I appreciate you stopping by and chatting about some wrestling, man. All right. That was my pleasure. Thank you. Absolutely. For the Gargoyle, Kerry Awful, I am the Will Gray. Thanks for stopping by and listening, my people.